invite you to take your Bibles and turn with me to the Gospel of Matthew, chapter 6. Thank you for your prayers for me and my family over the next uh, two months. We are uh, looking forward to time together, and uh, we've just moved into a new home, so we're exhausted. Uh, But God is faithful, and uh, we look forward to uh, seeing you again uh, soon. Uh, I was reflecting on... uh, the fact that if this, by God's uh, inscrutable providence, might be the, the last sermon I ever preached, let's say he takes on, uh, I think, in some ways, then this text before us, Matthew 6, 1 to 6, as it will point us uh, to the call that we have as God's people uh, to give, to give generously, but uh, to do so with pure motives and to do so uh, motivated by a father uh, who has given so much, verses 1 through 4. Matthew writes, Beware of practicing your He's calling us in chapter 5 to show in situations where we might be tempted to hide. And in chapter 6, he's calling us to hide in situations where we might be tempted to show. Well, this evening, we're going to look more closely at how Jesus unpacks verse 1 in the area of giving to the poor. Now, I know that school is over, uh, that seniors have already gotten into college and Uh, Most people here don't take the SAT anyway, but if you're looking for an SAT word or perhaps a spelling bee word for some of you who are going to be in the spelling bee one day, you get it it in this text. It's the word elemosynary, E-L-E-E. I've got to look at it. I can't spell it myself. M-O-S-Y-N-A-R-Y, elemosynary. That word means relating to charity, relating to to mercy, to giving. Uh, It's essentially a transliteration of the Greek word Uh, used in verse 2 for giving to the needy, give to the needy. I had seen this English word before, but it wasn't until this week in preparation for this sermon that I realized that this English word comes literally from the Greek here in the Bible. It's a Bible word. Uh, And just as Jesus did in chapter 5, he is here in this passage penetrating down to the heart level, not just the surface level, uh, not just the action level. But he's getting to the depths of our heart, to our motivations, particularly regarding our giving to the poor this evening. And so I want us to see three givers in our text tonight. Uh, The the giving hypocrite, the giving Christian, and the giving father. First, the giving hypocrite. In verse 2, Jesus describes how and why the hypocrite gives to the poor. How does he do it? Well, he sounds a trumpet before himself in the synagogues and the streets, Jesus says. He says, when you give to the needy, sound no trumpet before you as the hypocrites do in the synagogues and in the streets, that they might be praised by others. The hypocrite, as he prepares to give and as he gives, he makes sure that everyone sees what he is doing. Now, it doesn't appear that this was a literal practice in Judaism. It does seem that Jesus is using a a metaphor, a figure of speech, much like we speak of someone tooting their own horn, right? Uh, Trumpets in the nation of Israel were used in the old covenant to announce the onset of fast and of feast. And and Jesus seems to be comparing in the same way these hypocrites were proclaiming, were announcing their own giving to the poor, drawing attention to themselves as they gave, giving in order that they might be noticed and might be praised by other people. Wow, look how generous he is. Look how merciful she is. Jesus calls this sort of giver a hypocrite. Now, again, this is one of those English words like elemosynary uh, that comes directly to us from the Greek. 
In ancient Greece, you've heard this before, I, I'm sure, the hypocrites, the, the hypocrite, as it were, uh, he was an actor on a stage. He would wear a mask during the play to, to put on different roles, different parts. The, the word eventually comes to refer to a person who treated the world as his or her stage, who wore a mask to play a part in life, uh, who was a pretender, a play actor, a performer, someone who deceived other people, especially in a religious setting. Their religion was purely theatrical. It was fake. Of course, as you know, if you've read the gospel of Matthew, the hypocrites par excellence in Jesus's mind were the scribes and the Pharisees already alluded to and mentioned here in chapter five. If you go read Matthew 23, you see Jesus specifically call them out for their hypocrisy. In the Gospel of John, chapter 5, verse 44, and chapter 12, verse 43, we learn, very specifically connected to this passage, that the scribes and the Pharisees loved and sought the glory and the praise of men, the approval of man, rather than seeking the glory and the praise and the approval of God. Now, when you hear the word hypocrite, sometimes we use that word to refer to someone who says one thing and then does another, or someone who tells you to do one thing, but then does themselves something else. But in this case, Jesus is using the word hypocrite to refer to someone who really does give to the poor. Like they're doing the right thing, but they're doing it for the wrong reasons. Do you notice that distinction? There's a hypocrite who says, hey, you need to give to the poor, but then they never do. But then Jesus says there's also a hypocrite who gives to the poor. Maybe he gives generously, large amounts, but they're giving for the wrong reason. If you have children, you've told them they need to do the dishes and they inevitably in the dishwasher will stack a bowl upon a bowl. And, and so when you go to unload the dishwasher, right, the, the bowl that's on top of the bowl is clean on the outside, but the cereal is still caked on the inside, right? It has to be rewashed. Well, Jesus uses a very uh, similar illustration in Matthew 23 of the hypocrites. He says, you clean the outside of the cup and the dish, but inside they are full of robbery and self-indulgence. You see, the hypocrite here in verse 2 is not ultimately giving to the poor, but he's giving to himself. Not for the benefit of the poor, but for his own benefit. Sinclair Ferguson calls it not really a gift, but a purchase. He's buying the adulation of man for a price. And Jesus says to us here at the end of verse 2 that this hypocrite has received his reward in full. He's gotten what he was really after in the first place. The recognition, the attention, the notice, the appreciation, the glory that comes from everyone seeing how generous he or she was. And that's all he's going to get. He's going to get nothing from God. So this is the giving hypocrite. And don't we still see the hypocrite in his giving today? Aren't we ourselves so prone to be the hypocritical giver of whom Jesus speaks? Now, maybe you don't have the clout to call a press conference and, and announce your gift to the needy, but maybe you make sure everyone knows when you're the one who set up the GoFundMe for the person who lost everything in a house fire. Maybe you're the person who makes sure that, that everyone knows that you're the one who's given to these folks who are in need? Do you insist on your name being on the program or on the plaque or the building or the, the list of supporters? Do you drop subtle little hints to others of, of how generous you've been? 
Or maybe you insist that your gift is anonymous, but inside you congratulate yourself for how generous you are. Again, the point that Jesus is seeking to make is about the heart, about our motivation, the why. Beware lest you are operating out of a self-centered, self-indulgent, self-seeking, self-congratulatory, self-glorifying heart. So Jesus shows us the giving hypocrite. But then in verse 3, he shows us the giving Christian, uh, the giving disciple, the, the giving kingdom member, a member of his kingdom, the citizen of his kingdom. In verse 3, Jesus explains how we who follow him are to give to the poor. In a word, secretly. We are to give with such secrecy, Jesus says, that we barely even know that we've given. Not even our left hand is to know what our right hand is doing. Now again, Jesus is using a figure of speech here. It's certainly possible that you might uh, have a, a source of funds that you can set up with someone that you trust and, and, and you say, look, give this away however you want. I don't even want to know how that money is given away. And, and then you literally might be able to follow this command. But most of the time, you are the one who is controlling and managing your own money. And, and you are the one who has to make conscious choices about where that money is going to go and how you're going to give it to the poor or if you're going to give it to the poor at all. Jesus here is not telling us that we just need to throw money to the wind or, or keep how we spend our money even from our spouse. Right? The point is, keep your giving between yourself and God. Don't do it ostentatiously. Don't do it in such a way uh, that draws attention to yourself. Don't be like the former LSU football player, Odell Beckham, who, when we won the national championship, literally started handing out $100 bills to the players who had won, clearly and flagrantly violating NCAA rules and restrictions. He should have taken a $100 bill in the palm of his hand and shaken hands with all the players and given it to them. That would have still been breaking NCAA violations, but it would have been giving in the way Jesus commanded him to give, Right? <laughs> giving no attention, drawing no attention to himself. He, he literally got banned from like all LSU events because of that. He can't come on campus. He can't do anything with football program. And, and you just think, what were you thinking? Right. Even when it's impossible to hide that you are the giver of the gift, Jesus is saying, give and forget it. Forget it. Don't give so that others will pat you on the back. Don't give and then pat yourself on the back. Don't keep track of your gift. Don't even announce it to yourself with trumpet fanfare. Don't be self-conscious right, of what you're doing. Rather, be God-conscious. Give quorum Deo, to use the Latin phrase, in the presence of God, before the face of God. God, who is the Holy One, the unchanging One, the One with whom we truly have to do. We are to give Quorum Deo, not quorum homo, in the presence or before the face of man who is finite and fleeting and fickle and fallen. We're not to give publicly to be noticed by men, praised by men, but secretly so that no one knows what we're giving. Only God who is in secret would see. And the Father who sees in secret will reward you, Jesus says. God who sees in secret will see the why behind the what. He will see not just that we gave, but why we gave, the true motivation behind our giving. And Jesus says that God will reward us. He will pay us back. He will reward us both in this life as he supplies us with all sufficiency and all 
things at all times and makes all grace abound to us so that we might abound in every good work. I'm quoting there from 2 Corinthians 9, 8. But it'll also reward us in the life to come as we store up treasures in heaven. And isn't that, it's not that we're to seek the reward for the reward's sake, but it's that we are to seek the reward that only God can give us. We're not to seek the reward that men give us, but we're to seek the reward that is the natural overflow of the act of giving. This idea of rewards is the context of that famous C.S. Lewis quote from his address, The Weight of Glory, when he writes this, Indeed, if we consider the unblushing promises of reward and the staggering nature of the rewards promised in the gospel, it would seem that our Lord finds our desires not too strong but too weak. We are half-hearted creatures fooling about with drink and sex and ambition when infinite joy is offered us. Like an ignorant child who wants to go on making mud pies in a slum because he cannot imagine what is meant by the offer of a holiday at the sea, we are far too easily pleased. Isn't that the case? We love getting the pat on the back, the congratulations, the, uh, the recognition of man. But Jesus is saying here, give without any of that so that your Father who, in, who is in heaven will see what you're doing in secret. Don't be too easily pleased with a reward that comes from man. Be satisfied with nothing less than the reward that comes from your Father in heaven. Let that motivate you to give and to give generously. And that brings us finally to the giving Father. How is it that we are enabled to put to death hypocrisy and this propensity in our heart to seek glory from man? Well, it goes back to that little Latin phrase I just used, quorum Deo. We must give to the poor with an ever-increasing knowledge of the God who has given so much to us when we were poor, both physically poor and spiritually poor. God who is the giver of every good gift, who is the one who has supplied us with everything that we own that we are giving away to someone else. The one who has loved us even when we were his enemies, who is kind and good and generous, who gives the rain and the sunshine even to those who hate him. And refuse to believe in him or trust in him or submit to him. God is a giver and he is a giver because he is a father. Eternally a father. You notice the language that Jesus uses here, both in verse 1 and then again in verse 4. He says to the hypocrite, you'll have no reward from your father who is in heaven. Verse 4, your father who sees in secret when you give secretly will reward you. Jesus is continuing speaking of God as Father. He had begun it back in chapter 5, and he's going to continue it through this little section. And the point seems to be this. In order to stop giving as a hypocrite, but to give as a disciple of Christ, in order to stop seeking to be noticed by men and, and to receive the praise of men, we must rest our souls in the truth that God is our Heavenly Father. When we seek the approval and the recognition of men, what are we doing but seeking our security and our significance and our standing and what a mere creature thinks about us? But when we know that God is our Father who loves us, has accepted us and adopted us as his own children, his sons and daughters, that he has had and will have mercy upon us in the midst of our poverty and our lack, even when we don't deserve it, then we won't care what other people think about us. We won't try to toot our own horns as we give, to make ourselves appear better than we really are. We won't put stock in the applause of men. There's that great story 
where uh, a lady comes up to, to Charles Spurgeon and after a sermon and, and speaks very negatively and, and, and calls him names there as he walks out the door and, and he leans over to a deacon or an elder and says, she doesn't know the half of it, right, about how bad I am. He doesn't care what she thinks about him. He knows his own heart. He knows that he's a sinner who's only been saved by grace. Of course, the opinion of man can turn on a button. And so when we know that God is our father, in heaven who loves us, our hearts will then overflow with mercy to the poor, to those who are in need. When we give because we know that God sees, and rather than giving to be seen by man, then we will do good to the poor to imitate him, our heavenly father, that we might be seen by him in secret. And as we are seen by him in secret, he will reward us. How do we know that God is a father? How do we know that God is a, a lamasonary father, a merciful father? We know it, of course, most supremely in that he gave his son, Jesus Christ, on the cross. He sent Jesus for poor sinners like you and like me. He showed mercy and compassion to us when we deserve neither. And when we realize, even on top of this, that he will then reward us, it's more than the mind can imagine. It's so far out of comparison to what we know we deserve when we see the mixed motives of all of our actions, all of our righteous deeds, we are moved with a love for him that overflows into a love for others. We begin to love the praise of man less and less. We begin to think of ourselves less and less. And so, brothers and sisters, if you are sons and daughters of the Father in heaven, Jesus here is commanding you. He is assuming that you will give to the poor, that you will give to the needy. And so just the simple question, is that a part of your budget? It may be direct. It may be literally handing money to those who are asking for it on the streets, or it may be uh, giving to those that you know can't make a rent payment or who have lost their possessions in a house fire. Or maybe it's more indirect. Uh, maybe it is giving through organizations that you know do a great job of assisting the poor, whether secular or ecclesiastical. It's, perhaps you give to our Deacon's Benevolence Fund knowing that our deacons wisely are going to distribute that money as needs arise. But the point that Jesus wants to make here is not merely that you give to the poor, but that you give with the right motivation. Who sees you give? For whom do you give? May the Lord grant us to give in secret so that our Father who sees in secret might generously reward us through Jesus Christ, the Son that he has so mercifully given he is so generously and undeservedly given to us. So as I end my last sermon before the sabbatical, these are good words to end it on. It is more blessed to give than to receive. The cross of the Lord Jesus Christ should motivate us in all of our giving. He who is rich became poor for our sake so that we through his poverty might be made rich. And therefore we give. Therefore we are generous people. Therefore we hold our money loosely because we know that God has given to us and he calls us to be his instruments, his vehicles, his means of assisting financially the needs of those who do not have as much. And so we must constantly be overflowing in generosity, but from a pure heart, not like the hypocrites who give to be seen by men. May the Lord give us a pure religion, a religion that takes care of orphans and widows in their distress a religion that takes seriously the calls of the gospel, but a religion that is pure, that is heartfelt, that is genuine and sincere, that you can see through, as it were, that is transparent, 
where all of our motives are laid bare before the Lord because we know that he sees us anyway, even when we try to hide from him. And may God, who sees in secret, reward us according to his bountiful riches in Christ. Let's pray together. Oh, Lord, our God, we thank you for how merciful you are. You are our Father in heaven. Oh, Lord, would you help us to know every day that you have adopted us and that we are your sons and daughters. And may our sonship change us and motivate us in everything that we do. Oh, Lord, we pray that you would grant to us a heart of mercy, even as you have had mercy upon us. Lord, would you make us to be a church, a people who take very seriously your call to give to the poor. But Lord, may we do it with pure motives. May we do it in secret. May we do it, oh Lord, uh, not even letting our brothers and sisters know what we've done. Lord, may we give for you and for your glory and for the benefit of the poor. But Lord, ultimately, uh, that you might receive all the glory. Lord, we thank you that you are so gracious as to reward us even when our motives are so mixed. Yet, Lord, we desire more and more to look like our Savior Jesus who gave himself for us. So, Lord, as we go from this place into this new week, we pray that you would be so gracious and generous to us more than we deserve. Lord, that we in turn might share your love with others. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.